at this point, I was so poor that I went out and I bought a suit on my credit card and I tucked the tags in the back of my suit. Um, I went to my interview and I returned it to the store later that day so that I could end up buying groceries later that week. And uh, looking back on that moment, I'm actually pretty proud of myself for saying, like, nothing is stopping me from getting this job. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. A lot of the time, when we're going through difficult things in our personal lives or our professional lives, we can feel really alone in what we're struggling with. And I think to make it even more challenging, there are so many things that so many of us go through and deal with that affect our professional lives, but that we feel like we can't always talk about openly and that we don't hear much about. And mental health is definitely one of those things. It's something that so many people struggle with. And it's not like when we walk into that building and walk through those doors into our office or into our job or wherever it is we're going on a Monday morning. It's not like we leave all of that behind and transform into some sterile version of ourselves that doesn't feel anything or doesn't have any problems or challenges. Most of the time, most of our difficulties come with us. And I think that it's important to talk about some of those things so that anyone who is going through that feels less alone. And even more than that, in addition to feeling alone, I think a lot of times these struggles can make us feel afraid that we'll be limited, that there's a cap on what we can achieve because we're not quote unquote perfect or because we have this struggle. If you relate to any of these feelings, then I think today's guest and her story will be really helpful for you. Today's interviewee, Rachel Sneathan, opens up about some of her struggles with mental health and how they've come into play in her career. But even more than that, she talks about how she's grown and evolved and strengthened through some of those struggles. And we talk about her career journey going from an entry-level assistant position at the real estate development company she works at to a director-level position where she manages projects that are millions of dollars in skill and also works on really cool things like affordable housing that make the world a better place. Whether you personally relate to Rachel's mental health struggles or not, I think that as you listen to her story, you'll hear and feel her sense of grit and resilience and determination that is also balanced with a sense of self-awareness and self-compassion. I think that almost anyone can listen to Rachel's story and experiences and advice and take something away and learn something from it. And with that, here's my conversation with Rachel. Enjoy. All right. So I'm Rachel Sneathan. I'm a 34-year-old mother and wife. 
I've been married about for about eight years, and I am currently serving as the director of EB5 Regional Center at my company, Gorman & Company. I've been in this job for just over eight years now, and um, being a working mom, you know, a lot of times there are things that happen in life that are outside of the workplace that kind of start to trickle in. And some of those things in my life have been that I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis about five years ago. I suffer from PTSD, depression, and anxiety, and a multitude of other (laughs) fun health conditions. And on top of that, trying to uh, manage a a budding career and an active social life uh, on top of it uh, is definitely a I have my hands full. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you about your upbringing and your early, earlier days of your life and kind of how that's shaped who you are and and things that have come up for you career-wise. You know, my parents are just, they were amazing people. And we actually, we grew up without a lot of money. Um, My parents, I think, hid that pretty well. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of times that we struggled both to buy clothes, put food on the table. (laughs) I can't even count the number of times where it was digging in couch cushions for coins uh, for lunch money for school. And um, it just... It was something that we dealt with. I didn't know any different when I was younger, um, and it was just a part of my life. I had a job since I was in eighth grade. My very first job was actually delivering newspapers in town. Um, decided I didn't like that so much after a certain <laughs> after a certain amount of time uh, delivering papers in the pouring rain with uh, lightning storms going on. Uh, you, you start to get a, <laughs> a little bored with that job. But yeah, so my my dad actually served in the Navy um, and had moved back to the area where uh, where he was from as a kid. And, you know, he worked hard to put a roof over our heads and my mom did too. But yeah, we definitely struggled a lot growing up. I would say that I, as a kid, you know, I was a pretty happy kid um, when I was really young. But as we started to get into junior high school, it became clear that money was definitely an issue. And I would get bullied at school a lot about not having cool clothes, not fitting in very well, just different things like that. And honestly, I think that was part of my struggling as a kid. There was a lot of uh, bullying and abuse issues, both at school and at home. And you know, it was it was really hard to, I guess, focus on the positive as I moved into junior high and high school. When I was a junior in high school, I actually had no intention of going to college at all. I just assumed I would be getting a job at a local factory because that's what people did. Um, we grew up in a really small town. I remember one day I brought home this packet of information on how to select a college, and it was something that our guidance counselor had given me. My dad saw it on the table, and I just remember this conversation clear as day, and he's like, we don't have any money to give you for college, so if you want to do that, you're basically completely on your own. And uh, (laughs) at this point in time, I was a kind of a rebellious teenager and uh, dealing with a multitude of mental illnesses at the time without really knowing it, and I immediately just took what he said and took it as a challenge and 
just thought, you know, maybe I really truly am on my own. And if I want to do something for myself, I just have to do it. So, you know, a lot of my friends were going to college. And I honestly think that helped to gear my decision to kind of move forward from there. With the with that being said, I took the time to figure out what FAFSA was. I filled it out by myself. I registered myself at the local tech school. I picked interior design as my major because I loved art and I thought it would be so fun to decorate houses for a living and uh, took myself to college orientation and I ended up moving out that summer before I turned 18. And yeah, I thought it was, you know, such a big move and I was going to go places and I was so excited. And then I realized school is really hard. (laughs) And I also, it it costs a lot of money to go to school and go to college. And I couldn't really afford to just have moved out of my parents' house. You know, FAFSA didn't cover very much at that point for me because I was like determined just to have it pay for my classes. So I didn't take out any extra money on the side to help with like books or living expenses. So I ended up really struggling. I was working a couple of part-time jobs like at Home Depot, Navy, and uh, trying to go to school at eight in the morning, 10 classes until four in the afternoon. Then I would go to work starting at five. And then I would get home like around 11 or midnight and I would do my homework, which usually would take an hour or two for classes for the very next day. And by the time I was done with that, it was sleep for four hours, rinse and repeat. And that was five days a week. And then I also worked weekends, Saturdays and Sundays to just get in any extra hours at work that I could. And I did that for two years. And I I still look back and I'm like, I just don't know how I did that. (laughs) And did you eventually find your footing? And how did you end up landing in real estate? Yeah, so I worked on a a two-year degree. And you know, I was uh, one semester into interior design and just had like the real life wake up call of what it's like to be an adult without a lot of support. And I decided that interior design was not something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I took a semester trying to figure out, you know, what I really wanted to work in. And I remember there was a, a catalog of classes one day and I saw some really interesting descriptions for real estate courses. And I uh, <laughs> I went home and I was like, you know, I think I want to switch to this. So I ended up switching majors and I fell in love with real estate. I took every single class that I could, any of the electives that I could. Um, it ended up being just an incredible, incredible uh, journey to go on. In that time, too, you know, I was working these part-time jobs that just were kind of meaningless in the field, and uh, I ended up landing my very first job at a bank working as a file clerk in the real estate lending department. I actually walked into the bank one day, and I asked the HR department if they had any teller positions open, and when I was walking out the door, something told me to turn around and tell them about my schooling that I was doing. And as I mentioned, I was getting my degree in real estate and the HR person immediately asked if I could come back the next day for an interview. And I was like, well, what am I interviewing for? And she was like, we desperately need a filing clerk in a real estate department. And it seems like you're looking for a starter job. This might be a good fit. 
So at this point, I was so poor that I went out and I bought a suit on my credit card and I tucked the tags in the back of my suit. Um, I went to my interview and I returned it to the store later that day so that I could end up buying groceries later that week. And uh, looking back on that moment, I'm actually pretty proud of myself for saying like, nothing is stopping me from getting this job. Yeah. So I started working there. And if you remember back, this was like 2003, 2004, the real estate refinancing boom had started. And our bank was so busy that, you know, I was in the back filing stuff and they couldn't hire enough people to keep up with all of the mortgages that were closing. So they asked me if I would come help the lending assistants. And I mean, that really... I think gave me my first leg up into a full career in the real estate career field. So after that, I kind of did a series of job jumpings and um, I had various job titles over the years, including like lending assistant, financial planner assistant, legal assistant, paralegal, office manager, executive assistant. And all of my careers were really focused around the real estate fields. And there was a point in time where I decided it was time to go back and I uh, decided to do my bachelor's in management, which was during the downturn of 2008. And then I ended up realizing that I still needed to go to school. So I ended up doing my MBA. And I was a legal assistant at a law firm that time and uh, changed my major to human resources, thinking that would be a really good move for me. And as it turns out, uh, working in HR was not for me. I, I one day was just like, you know what, I, this is enough. Like, I don't need to torture myself working in HR, something that I absolutely do not like. So I ended up quitting without a job lined up. And I remember going home that night and just completely dreading my decision. I immediately went to the place of how am I going to pay my mortgage? Um, you know, are we going to get thrown out on the street? What am I going to do? But uh, anyway, so I went and signed up at a few temp agencies and got a phone call and they wanted me to come in and interview for this job working for a CEO of a company. And I was like, well, I don't really want to do that, but I, I just need something temporary to get me through. Well, clearly it didn't end up being temporary and I just loved my job wholeheartedly. And I've obviously been there for eight years now, <laughs> but I would say that that decision to quit my last job without having something else lined up was one of the more major career moves I've made for myself in my lifetime. And I honestly am thankful every day that I did that. I still can't believe I had that much courage to just walk away, especially growing up in a situation where, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. It took a lot to realize that, you know, I'm strong enough. I can figure this out. It doesn't matter. Like, if I'm not happy, I deserve to be happy. So that was a very big move for me. I think the topic of courage, I also was really feeling that when you talked about like buying the suit, even though you couldn't afford it and putting it on your (laughs) credit card and just like going into the interview anyways. And obviously, you crushed the interview because you ended up working in that place. <laughs> and I'm curious what what you think it is in you that gave you that fuel to do that and believe in yourself and kind of like show up for that interview and to like quit that job and to kind of like just keep moving yourself forward. 
like I've said, like I have struggled with PTSD and depression, anxiety my entire life. And I, and I will forever. It's not something that goes away, no matter what people assume when you say that you have those things. It's not just something you can smile away. I know for a fact that it took me a long time in some of those cases, specifically for leaving my, my last job. It took me a long time to come to that decision. But once I think I realized how much it made me unhappy to actually pull the trigger and say, okay, you know what? I need to, I need to stop this because this is leading me down a horrible path. I don't like who I am when I'm doing this, being depressed and, you know, just really unhappy about your work. I realized it was affecting not just me, but also my family. And I just started to notice those kinds of changes and decided that it was, it was time. And don't get me wrong. I mean, every single person has, are either really good at making snap decisions or they're not. I like to think that I'm not very good at making snap decisions <laughs> because my snap decisions aren't actually snap decisions. They're things that I've been thinking about for a very long time, especially when it comes to a career or, you know, personal life things. Once I finally make a decision, like I am dead set, this is what I'm doing. You're either getting on this motorcycle with me or you're not. So <laughs> that's kind of just what, how I've tried to work through my issues, just kind of going with the flow the best that I can, but also knowing that a lot of thought about how me personally went into it and, you know, decisions for my family also went into it ahead of time. I think there's a ton of power in that ability to make the decision and just drive forward. And once it's made, not waffle or question it. Because it is, I think a lot of us, like we fall into the pattern of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I think having that that power to keep moving forward once you know what you want to do is, I think it's so important. And I wanted to ask you then about that role working as the assistant for the CEO. So that's, it's at the same place that you're working now, right? You've been there for eight years yeah. and you've really progressed. And you've, we've talked a little bit before about how that role, that initial entry point kind of helped you start to see yourself in new ways professionally and, and gave you a lot of forward momentum. And I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, when I started there, I was uh, the assistant to the CEO. And like I said, it was going to be a temporary role for me. And that's when I kind of walked into the job thinking like, well, I'll just go in, I'll do my best, I'll get a good reference. And um, within, I think it was probably just a couple weeks, I realized like, number one, my boss actually cared not just about me, but also like every single employee that walked in the front doors that were out at our properties. That's just something that I think you don't see a lot of times is like when you have your CEO, like actually in the field and looking at things and asking not just the top people how the job's going, but also people that are working at our grounds, working, you know, on the front lines, like that's a huge deal. Yeah. So one of the things too, that they kind of let me do was, to say, you know, I'm here to help. Like, what do you guys need help with? I might not know whatever it is right now, but I'm willing to learn. And I think when they realized that 
I was willing to step into any mess and help figure out how to clean it up and just learn as I go. I think they realized that I could be an asset to the company. And that's kind of how my role has grown over the last eight years is my leadership team. I think as you're growing there and as you're becoming an asset to the company, you become trustworthy. They know you can do the job without having to walk you through the process time and time again. So it's it's me gaining confidence in what I'm doing. And that comes with time, <laughs> a lot of energy, and a lot of reassuring myself that I can do it, even though there are a lot of days, and actually most days, where I question if I can. It's something that I'm I'm really proud that grown so much and there's only more to gain for me in this role and that's that's exciting where it's something where you can make it what you want you can find challenges no day is ever the same thankfully <laughs> but uh yeah it's it, it's definitely changed a lot since I've been there I love that you mentioned questioning yourself and kind of pushing yourself out of the headspace of like, oh, like, will I be able to do this to like, oh, maybe I'm feeling this hesitation, but I'm gonna try to believe in myself and tell myself that I can do this. Because as you're growing and progressing forward, that's part of it, which is like those scary new challenges and having to really like be learn to be on your own side and not and not, you know, often we're our our own worst enemies. Yeah. And I always knew I wanted to do something big with my life, but I also have this big monkey on my back called mental illness. So I <laughs> I try not to ignore that because otherwise you end up having issues. Um, but I realized, you know, after my last job, if I truly wanted to make something of myself, I needed to get professional help at that point. You know, it was just way too easy to get down on myself for any issues I had before that. And I have to constantly remind myself, like, I am good enough for this career path. I have my MBA for crying out loud. I'm always willing to stay late. I always help or ask if I can like help to get things done at work. And I always want to see my coworkers become successful in their roles too, which I think is a big thing. You know, at the workplace, it's not just about you. You work with, it could be two other people. It could be four. It could be a hundred. It could be 500. And I personally want to see every single person succeed. and. You know, sometimes the best way to do that is just to be encouraging of others. Like I said, I have to <laughs> I have to remind myself on a daily basis, like you can do this. My goal is to make something of myself and you know, standing behind a mission I believe in and doing good in the world. And I personally have seen the suffering that violence and anger and sadness and hunger and hurt can do to people in the world. And I just I'm so excited for me personally that I'm working towards a a goal to maybe not solve all those issues, but at least to have a positive energy to put and helping those issues for other people and myself at the same time. There's a lot that I want to touch on that you mentioned, but one thing in particular that I want to go back to is what you've learned. Like you made that decision to say, like, okay, like I want to get support for some of my mental health struggles so that I can continue to grow. What have you learned over the years with that? And what kind of 
advice or insights have you picked up that might be helpful? Because so many people, this is like a silent struggle, right? So many people yeah. are in your shoes and it's, it's so rare that we get to hear about someone's experience. Yeah. And, um, I've had a lot of counseling and I go every other week, an hour during my lunch hour, happy to say. And, uh, when I was younger, I didn't think I needed to do that. Um, I didn't think it, you know, was necessary to get professional help. Like, no, I'll just feel better about myself or no, I'll just buy something for myself. And that'll make me feel a thousand times better. The best way that like, I like to think about is like, imagine spending the first two decades of your life thinking you're not good enough for anyone. And when you say, not good enough. I'm talking about like that deep, dark hole where you're barely scraping by every day. You know, you're still, you still laugh and you still love people, but your heart and your inner voice just aren't in it. Try going there. And then you spend, have to spend the next decade and a half trying to figure out how to unwind that daily damage that you just did for 20 years. It is a difficult path. And I know there are people out there that will identify with my story and they know exactly what I'm talking about. I've had to spend a lot of time in my therapy asking myself, like, is that the truth? The best way, you know, I can give an example, you know, a few years ago, I'm sitting around a big discussion about a project. Someone pointed out a, a few small errors in my work and asked if I, what I intended to mean by that. Now, a normal person, whatever that is these days, <laughs> would probably quickly answer with like a, oh, my mistake, that this was the direction I was headed in, like write a snap instant explanation of what they were thinking. Now, for a person that suffers with PTSD, anxiety, depression, that answer first starts in their head with a, oh, no, I'm going to get fired. I failed the company. I failed the mission. I don't deserve to make money here. Like, how am I going to pay for my house when I get fired? I mean, like, wow, like right down the rabbit hole, right? <laughs> so in counseling, I have personally had to work on retraining my thought process. So every single day, every single time, there's no doubt that I literally have to pause that voice in my head and ask, is this my truth for every question that you, you know, the answer is usually no. Like, am I going to get fired? No, probably not. They're just asking, like, what, you know, like, what I intended to do on this. Like, have I failed the mission? Well, no. Like, we're all working on this mission daily to provide affordable housing for people that need it. And this one little tiny question isn't going to end the world. But, you know, everyone that suffers from this has been through this, where you are questioning every single thing that could come up during the day. Over time, with a lot of counseling it's become easier for me to kind of push those thoughts back. But I also know they're going to follow me for the rest of my life and the rest of my career. And it's something that I struggle with each day, but it's also something that I know that I'm moving in the right direction because I'm getting help. I'm working on these things. I recognize I have an issue. And it's something that I can tell based on my projection of my career path that these kinds of, or this kind of counseling has really helped me and it's helped guide me and really think about, you know, I'm not such a bad person that I give myself in my head. My inner voice, you know, is sometimes a liar <laughs> and I'm actually a pretty decent human being. 
but it is, like I said, it's easy to get lost in that. But I think for me, really going to counseling and talking about not just the issues in the past, but how to move forward from those issues has been the most important. You know, maybe I spent the first couple months with my counselor really talking about the past, but now we're talking about, okay, so this happened in the last two weeks and here's how I reacted and here's how maybe how I should have reacted or how can I think about that differently from that person's perspective? Those are things that, you know, you work on in counseling, you know, and that would be, you know, my advice is that if you haven't gone or if you are going, try not to just focus on the past things that have happened, but how to take those things from your past, recognize what issues they're currently causing you, and then try to focus on a path that's going to work to maybe not necessarily make everything okay, but help to make it more positive, you know, and better change for yourself down the road. I think that's so helpful for people. And I think it's really easy to, I know from my experience, it's really easy to brew up anxiety about things and for things to just get so much bigger in your head than what they actually are. And I think having the awareness is really helpful. And then those tools also just stepping back and being able to ask yourself, like, is this true? Is this reality? Or like, do I need to just take a minute to regroup mentally? Yeah. And honestly, like sometimes I think those are the, that's the hardest thing is to recognize when you need to do that. For me, it's usually I've bitten my fingernails down to, <laughs> down to nothing. I've drink, uh, you know, 10 cups of coffee in the day and I'm kind of uh, pacing back and forth. And I realize, wow, like, you know what, maybe I need to take a walk outside and uh, just do some meditation or just go for a nice walk to calm down and try to refocus my energy and how I could get back to the actual problem at hand instead of focusing on the 50 different tangents that the problem could lead to when I don't actually know if it could lead to that. Totally. And I, I think one thing too is that, you know, in addition to the challenge of self-regulating, right, and being aware of what's going on with you, there's also all of the other messy humans around you and then what they're experiencing. <laughs> and this happens a lot in work environments. I think no matter how incredible our coworkers or anyone is, right, we're all human. And sometimes we're in these stressful situations and we're not always all our best all the time. And so it's not even just sometimes our own challenges, but <laughs> other people's behavior than bringing things to the surface too. Right. And I, I completely agree with that. One thing that I've noticed over the years, and it's something as a kid that I I often didn't realize maybe was part of the core of my issue is that people aren't always listening. They say they're listening, but they're not always actually listening. Every single person wants to be heard and they want to be understood. And that's why they're opening their mouths to talk. And sometimes I have to be very direct with people and saying, please listen to what I'm saying for one minute. You know, I, I find that... Uh, Sometimes I have to write down my thoughts after conversations because I just maybe didn't get across the point that I wanted to. Sometimes one-on-one -on -one conversations, you know, especially if it's something where you need to convey an issue, 
sometimes they can get hijacked by the person sitting across the table from you and put into a completely different direction than what you were trying to to talk about. I think it's been most difficult when I've had to have other team member had other team members sitting in the same room and uh, they're not only doing all the talking for the group, but then when you do pipe in, your ideas are immediately thrown to the wayside. And I think that's something that everybody can relate to at one time or another. But I think if everybody in a room realized that every single person wants to be heard, maybe they would do a better job listening. And there's a reason we're opening our mouths. We want to be heard. And sometimes you have to realize you need to be a little bit more direct and say, please listen to what I'm saying. This is the direction that I want to go. This is, um, you know, who... I think I need to be, or, you know, this is what I think is best for the company. I think being able to be a little bit more direct and speaking up, that's really important. At least I found it in my career. When I first started out, I was very quiet, little mouse in the room, just here to listen, but I wasn't speaking up. And now that I do speak up, it's just making sure that people are still listening. It's I'm glad that you said that, that you started as a little squeaky mouse, because I think that, you know, (laughs) it's great when people are naturally direct and kind of just able to do what you mentioned, which is please listen to what I'm saying. And I love that you weren't always that way and that you had to build that. I'm wondering if there's anything that you would share with someone who identifies with the squeaky mouse and is thinking like, I would be terrified to say to someone, like, please listen to what I'm saying. Like, how how did you get there? <laughs> A lot of therapy. <laughs> um, I mean, that's part of it. But uh, there comes a point, I feel like, in all of our lives where you realize maybe this is just the time for me to, to talk you know, I, I mentioned before, I have uh, multiple sclerosis. And um, for some people, it can be, uh, it, it's debilitating. And, you know, you don't know when your time is going to come that it's going to hit you. And I honestly believe that being diagnosed with this disease has unfortunately, it's been a, a bad thing, but also a good thing for me personally. Because I realized that my working career might only be 10 years long. It might be 20 years long. I don't know. And do I want to end it by being the person in the corner that nobody's really listening to? For me personally, that's not, I want to go out with a bang. Like I want to make a difference in people's lives, whatever that is, because I've been given this precious gift of life and I don't want to waste it. And it has not been easy for me to speak up. Not at all. But if you start thinking about it in the context of, I can make a difference, this is how I'll make a difference, I might not be in the headlines of newspapers and magazines, but my small contribution to society will matter. And this is how I'm going to do it. That, I honestly think, has really helped me to, to speak up and become more of the person that you know I am today, which I am becoming to be extremely proud of the, you know, the journey that I've been on and getting from point A to point B, um, you know, and will hopefully continue to grow in. But yeah, it's, I mean, (sighs) I know it's one thing too, to say like, 
just go out and get it. You know, you can do this. You'll be great. But it's another to actually start doing it. So maybe if it's like you're really quiet at a meeting, maybe make yourself a goal like this week, I'm going to talk about something. Even if it's small, like I'm going to have a voice in the room, just for even if it's for five seconds, agreeing with something. And then the next week, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to raise my hand and ask a question at one of our meetings. I'm going to focus on, you know, this and just try to build up your confidence slowly. Because I really think that until I was able to do that, I just, like, I just sat back and I let others ask the hard questions. And now I find myself not only asking the hard questions, but also bringing solutions to the table. I'm heard. I'm a part of a team. I'm not just on the back burner part of the team. I'm helpful in how my answers are and finding solutions. And that's that's a huge deal. So if you have to start small, start small, but then build on it. Don't just make it small for the rest of your life. Try to build on it. And I'm curious what's next for you. What are you thinking about for your next career step or just what's ahead? Oh, man. Actually, that that is funny. Um, <laughs> so actually, my, my job is uh, changing a little bit at the end of this year. And it's because I, you know, decided that I wanted to have more of a challenge. So it, it took some time in figuring out what I wanted to do, but I was able to talk to my bosses and come up with a plan. So I'm really excited with where we're headed. My ultimate goal is um, I have become a very relationship-driven person, and I really would just I would love so much to just be part of a, you know, a group where we're making relationships and working with finding different funding sources. And with uh, this job change coming up in another year, I'm going to be starting to do that. So, you know, I would also love to be queen of the world, but I, I feel like that position's not open right now. <laughs> But, you know, there, there's always hope for that. I would love to see you in that position. That's funny. I was I was just going to ask you if, you know, and I'm guessing you have just judging by that answer, if, if you've thought about the longer term, like the farther out there career dream where you'd want to, you know, like where, where would you see your career peaking or what, what do you dream about one day doing? For me personally, that answer has changed a lot in the last five, 10 years of my life where now I really want to see myself where I'm not just in charge of like relationship management, but also looked up to by coworkers and looked as a leader by other people in my company and maybe other different vendors that we work with. That I think is like the ultimate goal for me is just to be seen and heard as a leader. I know I have a lot of work to do before I ever get to that point, And that's self-recognition that I know I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> but I also know I'm on my way to that. And my job has allowed me to grow in those those very specific areas to kind of work towards that. So it's, you know, it's on the horizon eventually here. <laughs> 
I'm so excited to hear where you end up. We might have to we might have to do an update in a few months, a year, however long it takes. <laughs> Would love to. Cool. Well, I think I'm gonna go into the listener question and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say if you're ready for it. I'm ready. Okay, so here is the question. My manager will insist on accompanying me to meetings with other teams or leaders at my company when I'm well equipped to handle these meetings on my own. I know she thinks I'm not ready, but I really don't feel like I need her constantly in the background. Even when she says I can lead a meeting without her, she'll end up emailing me the day before and asking me to add her to the meeting. I'm not scared to ask for help or support when I need it. So it's not a matter of me not wanting help. It's me wanting space. And how how can I get some space? Sincerely feeling micromanaged. Ooh, the micromanager. <laughs> We all know one. We all know one. (laughs) Okay. So my first statement to the listener would be like, holy cow, you know, you're ready to lead the meetings. That's amazing. I think if we're feeling that confident enough to do these things, it is time for us to ask for freedom. I seriously believe that when all people in the workplace are trying to accomplish the same mission at the end of the day. But, you know, every single person has a little bit different working style. Perhaps this person, our listener, feeling micromanaged should ask themselves, are there other people on the same level that are being treated this way? Is there a deadline looming where the ultimate responsibility falls on your supervisor's shoulders, the one that's micromanaging you? Maybe that's why they're checking in so much. This is kind of relating back to the, is this my truth? Maybe we should find the truth of the issue. One of the things that our company is, deadlines happen. And sometimes we have people that, as we joke, cast a net of craziness and confusion and micromanaging because that's how they lash out at stress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I would say, like, locate the truth in those answers. And then I would schedule a quick sit down with the supervisor and say, you know, I'm truly ready to lead these meetings so that you can use your time in a more valuable way rather than attending these meetings. I am more than happy to give you an update and fill you in on exactly what happened, tasks that were assigned, deadline dates, et cetera. And if you don't think I'm ready to handle these yet, could you just give me some pointers on how you want these meetings to be run? Because maybe I'm, you know, not asking the right questions, but I want to learn how. And then I'll take your advice and implement it into the next meeting that you attend to prove myself. I personally think that 99 times out of 100 that bosses aren't really micromanaging, but they ultimately have the responsibility that falls on their shoulders for how a project goes um, so that they want to be kept in the loop, especially when there's dollars at stake or even maybe their job or a performance review. So I feel like sometimes that happens and maybe you're just not in in the loop on why that keeps being questioned. So I think it'd be good to actually go to that person and say, listen, like I really want to lead these. I'll take time off your hands so you can work on other stuff. But I, I would just recommend, you know, at least having a face-to-face conversation about it. So helpful. Thank you so much, Rachel. And now for the closing questions. The first of the two closing questions is about the title of the podcast, which is The Art of Speaking Up. So I always like to give the guest some space to comment on what significance speaking up has had for them and why it's why they think it's important. 
speaking up is incredibly important for every single person to do. And I feel like if people are listening to this podcast, it's because they're really trying to figure out how to do that. I can't tell you the number of times that I have failed myself by not raising my hand, not reporting an issue. And trust me, as somebody living with PTSD, those are very real things where things have happened and I haven't spoken up and I have failed myself. And I think at some point realizing that if I want to make any change in the world, especially good change, I have to use my voice. It can be a weapon of good. It can be a weapon of hate. But if you use your voice for a weapon of good and speak up, I really feel like people can move their lives in directions that they want to go. Maybe not everything, you know, they might hit some bumps along the road with doing that. But I think generally, if people spoke up and talked, you know, very clearly about the things that they want and how to take care of themselves and getting by in their career, I just, I really think that everyone would be a lot happier than they are. (laughs) And this comes from personal experience. (laughs) I fully agree. It's hard to do. I think it's easy to get stuck in our heads and then like you don't do it. And I know this is an experience I'm describing and like you beat yourself up and you're like, oh, I should have said something. And so it's kind of hard to break that barrier. But I, I don't know if this has been your experience. It's like once you, once you start doing it, it really starts to unleash a certain internal momentum and it, it just gets a ball rolling and it's kind of hard to describe, but it's why I named the show The Art of Speaking Up and why I care so much about it is because I believe it's a catalyst and it it seems like it's been a catalyst for you also. Exactly. I completely agree. Now for the last question, um, a little bit of context. I created this show because I had some tough times earlier in my career when I was getting started in the real world, trying to figure things out. And I started this show because I know a lot of women go through what I went through or even the things that I still go through some days. It's just not always that easy to see. And I wanted to be able to speak to them and speak to some of those issues and make women feel good and empowered to do essentially exactly what you've done, which is to make a a decision to believe in yourself and to aim for and go for what you want. And so with that, I like to give you the floor to talk to listeners and share whatever message you think is important for women to hear. Yeah. So my message, and this really goes out to any listeners and specifically the listeners that maybe can't identify with people in the workplace that have mental health issues. I'm just going to give you a small piece of advice if you haven't. If somebody is forthcoming and tells you, I suffer from A, B, C, or D mental illness, believe them. Literally, the worst thing that you can do is to ignore it and pretend that someone's not going through issues and isn't suffering incredibly on the inside. For me, getting to the point where I can talk about these issues to complete strangers is incredibly rare. And I only know that because it will take years before I've had people open up to me about personal issues or personal crises that they've had. I've only gotten to this point where I could talk about it with a tremendous amount of counseling over the last decade. And I wish I would have started it sooner. I've had to learn how to love myself all over again. I've had to learn how to identify cues of PTSD while I'm at work. 
and while they're in motion to identify the truth of like what might be going on a very simple situation. And I, I've given that example of, you know, being critiqued is immediately your head goes to places where it shouldn't on a normal day. And for those of you that are listening that, you know, suffer from some of these things, like, you know that they're not going away and you know you're going to deal with these issues for the rest of your life. And I think just the best thing that you can do for yourself is to figure out a way that you can maybe not just cope with it, but also turn the the negativity into something that will lead you on a more positive path. Whether that is just stopping and questioning your where your brain's going on a specific question. It has taken years to get to the point where I'm okay talking about this, but I I really wish I could have done this in my teens and in my early working career because I feel like I probably would have advanced a little further along than I had now. But I also know that had I not walked the path and had to go through those struggles, I probably wouldn't be in the place that I am now with coworkers that I absolutely love and adore and leadership that I admire and I look to as my own personal heroes. And I, you know, want my career to go on that path. Thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on the show. I <laughs> loved hearing your story and I think it's going to be really uplifting and inspirational and just show so many people that things that seem like barriers while they're there, right? You can still choose to move forward just like you have. Thank you as always. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I loved this interview so much and I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to submit a listener question to be answered on the show, you can always send me an email jessica at theartofspeakingup.com. My Instagram handle is at theartofspeakingup. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm always so excited to know that in just another week, there'll be another one of these out there for you. And in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll catch you soon.